The gut and the brain originate from the same cells in the embryo and they're called neural, neural crest cells and these migrate and form these organs that are in the body far apart but they're connected by the 10th cranial nerve called the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve um, basically I call a two-way superhighway so it's constantly communicating between the gut and the brain so it's taking messages back and forth. Fruits and vegetables have been shown in several studies to improve mood. That's an important that's important for people to know that I'm not just saying like every other doctor eats some more salad and eat more fruits and vegetables. I'm, I'm saying it for mental health it's actually been shown to help your mood. So starting to incorporate a simple thing like right now, um, you know, today, if you wanted to add two veg vegetable side dishes to your dinner, um, that would be a good thing. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 36. Welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. I am super stoked for today's episode. I've been wanting to have another conversation around nutrition and mental health, around how our food is impacting and directly related to our brain health and our mental health, our mood and behavior and attitude. The more that I've gotten into the research around this topic and just been on my own personal journey as well of developing a relationship with food that is more adaptive to my brain health, my mental health, and seeing the results in my life of just feeling, you know, more brain power to power through my day and just feeling better mood, feeling lighter, all of those things, uh, the more I've just felt passionate about having this conversation. And so I'm always so excited when I can have this with someone who is out there in the field of, you know, nutritional psychiatry and talking about this in a very practical way, in a way that is tangible and accessible to the everyday person. And that is exactly what my guest, Dr. Uma Naidu, is doing with her book, This Is Your Brain on Food. I am so grateful for her and the work that she's been doing around nutritional psychiatry at Harvard Med, but also just her spirit. She's just such a sweet spirit who is also a practitioner of this work. Dr. Umanedu is a triple threat in the food space, really. She's a board-certified psychiatrist, nutrition specialist, and professionally trained chef. You guys, how cool is that? So I just bought her book, This Is Your Brain on Food, and it touches on so many key concepts. You know, she draws on really cutting edge research to explain the many ways in which food contributes to mental health and shows how a sound diet can help treat and prevent a wide range of psychological and cognitive health issues. It's packed with fascinating science, actionable and really practical nutrition recommendations and delicious brain healthy recipes. It kind of acts as the ultimate guide to optimizing your mental health. So I didn't want to keep the good stuff all to myself. I had to share it with y'all. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Uma Naidu. All right, so I have Dr. Naidu with me. I'm so excited. She is brilliant and sweet and I always think it's so amazing when you can find that combination in someone who's in the field. Um, so Dr. Naidu, before we dive into this topic, I would love it if you could let us know a little bit about yourself and what led you to nutritional psychiatry and the work you're doing today at Harvard Med. Thank you so much, Brittany, and thanks for, for inviting me. I'm excited to talk with you as well. Um, you know, I I would love to say that I had a very grand plan when I was younger or at a different stage of my career, 
But what I will share is that food and nutrition uh, was very important to me. I came from a large Indian family, mm-hmm. lots of cooks in the kitchen, um, to the extent that I only learned to cook later in life when I moved to study at Harvard and um, really wanted to learn my mom's recipes and my grandmother and aunt's recipes. So as I started studied, it really became for me uh, a way to uh, really a form of stress relief, which is how I began to incorporate not only cooking and nutrition into my my life and my work. And at the same time, I was studying about psychiatric medications and um, in residency at the Harvard Longwood Program in Boston. And at that time, I felt that coming from a background that was spiritual, holistic, included mindfulness, um, forms of meditation practice, Um, I felt that my patients needed more because Mm -hmm. understanding and learning the side effects of these medications, they could be devastating. But I also know that my patients needed the medications. So I had to find within myself a way to help them. And that came really initially through the lens of um, ways to reduce anxiety. But most initially, even before that, it was, well, how about we, we learn to eat differently and think about lifestyle measures. And that's when I really focused in a lot more on nutrition. Um, My tour to culinary school came after residency, but it was because Julia Child is my food hero. Yeah. And in this journey, as I was learning to cook uh, in Boston and calling my mom and getting her emails with her recipes, um, I would, you know, we couldn't afford, uh, couldn't afford cable. So I would watch Julia Child on public television and loved the series of French Chef. And that gave me confidence. You know, I thought, wow, you know, she's entertaining. She's smart. She's dropping our omelet. She's, you know, I can do this. I can, I can learn how to cook. And because uh, I was a great baker, I loved to bake. And my mom had recognized that I loved science. So she had taught me to bake very early on. Um, but, you know, you can't, you can't live on cake alone. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I did, I did learn to cook and, and the, journey was so meaningful and 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 brought me closer to my family where I had moved so far away. Um, but also when I learned that Julia Child was not only a patron of the school that I studied at, but um, did this later on in her life, I thought, well, I love food so much and it really means a lot to me to know and learn more. And why not I try it out? And I did. Um, and that became, without planning became an additional tool to use in my clinical evaluations. Because if I said to someone, you know, I'd like you to start thinking about incorporating these foods, then the next step of that became, well, here's what you can do with that food, Um, which is often a challenge for us as physicians, because we're not taught that much nutrition in medical school. And, um, you know, we, we, we're expected to talk to patients about hypertension and how to eat for that, high cholesterol or diabetes or family history of diabetes. So that's really how it came to be. And that interest grew, uh, started very early on in my practice and just grew and developed. And uh, with great mentorship, I was able to start my my clinic and, and really focus in on it. I love this so much. <laughs> um, it's first of all, like I love how you have this intersectionality of, um, you know, psychiatry in the mental health world, but also nutrition, and you're also a chef. <laughs> so you just are really the whole package, and I feel like you're kind of a unicorn. And um, <laughs> the world of nutritional psychiatry just seems really new. Um, I'm hearing more and more about it. You know, we were talking about our mutual friend, Dr. Drew Ramsey, um, and uh, I and I love this approach that it comes from a love for food. Um, and not this legalistic um, diet right. shaming approach, which I kind of am more of a believer of intuitive eating myself, which is eating mm-hmm. what just being aware of eating what makes you feel better, you know, and just eating more of that okay. instead of, Absolutely. you know, don't do this, don't do that. Don't, yeah, you know. I, think, I, think, I think that actually brings me to two, two points, you know, my... Um, the, the term nutritional psychiatry is newer, and that's mm-hmm. considered more nascent. But um, men, my mentors at Mass General Hospital and at Harvard had been studying folate, methylfolate, omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah. Um, you know, had been studying all of these different, um, and magnesium as well, um, all of these different substances or, or chemicals or minerals over many decades. And mm-hmm. 
they were a familiar part of our dialogue as we studied and learned. And, you know, I think that what I did was take what they had taught me and, and their research and really integrated that because I had this love for nutrition and nutrients and, you know, what, what does the, uh, what does zinc do or what does magnesium do and that type of stuff. And I, I, brought it into a more integrated and functional um, approach in psychiatry, where I do think the root cause is important because we know that medications don't treat all of the symptoms. Right. And, and even when someone does take a medication, they, they don't, you know, even with therapy and all of the appropriate treatments that are talking therapy, CBT, behavioral techniques, they may not feel fully improved in terms of the anxiety. So although, um, you know, although the term nutritional psychiatry is nascent, I mean, there have been individuals like myself, my, like myself that have been integrating it into their practice since residency and, um, you know, had been putting it together or trying to help people in a more um, holistic approach, you know, which, which doesn't just look at um, one part of the body, you know, it doesn't just yeah. look at the brain and, and what should I tell you to feel, you know, it's looking out of the box and saying, well, there's this gut brain connection. And, yeah. you know, there's this, uh, tell me, like you said, Brittany, you know, it's intuitive is what, you know, how do you feel when you eat this food? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the other thing that I liked about what you said is, you know, people feel so afraid when they, when they talk to either doctors or health professionals because they feel they're going to be scolded. You know, it's either my cholesterol too high and you're going to tell me to give up this food that I love. Or, right. And, and I think if you can find healthy alternatives for people to enjoy and the chef in me always wants it to be delicious. I feel you shouldn't have to give up things you enjoy. Yeah. But you, you do have to relinquish the stuff that's unhealthy for our brain because so many studies show and prove that. Um, and the other quick point I'll say is that in relation to writing the book, it was exactly the reason that I decided that I wanted to bring this message forward because my patients would come in with, with feeling terrible about what they were eating, feeling like they were going to be shamed, feeling like they were reading different things in the media that was confusing them and yeah. they didn't know what to do. Um, so I would say, well, you know, why don't we try this? And they'll say, but I just read this yesterday and it said the opposite doctor. So what, you know, right. so just some of that and the, the, the book hadn't, uh, the area of the nascent field of nutritional psychiatry, um, you know, this, what this book does is it comes from the physician MD perspective. And what I've done is integrated, you know, I read 700, about 700 articles that have the evidence base for the different disorders. Wow. And, um, and then we, I, I sort of, um, condensed that to 500 and just over 550 articles which are included in the book and then the third phase of of really putting it together was trying to take that information and making it digestible and you know it was is so that anyone can pick up the book and say well I have these symptoms or my family member has these symptoms what can I do right now today because unless you have a food intolerance or an allergy or something like celiac disease where you mm -hmm. cannot eat gluten you can actually start with foods you know right now you, you you can pick the book up and and think about the chapter that has meaning for you and look at the foods to embrace or avoid and I think that became important for me to bring that message yeah. uh, beyond my just the patients that I was seeing. Right, right. And that one of the things we were kind of talking about before we started the conversation was about how the research field can really be its own beast <laughs> and not very accessible. Exactly. Like the information is not very accessible to the public, not just in terms of being able to access it in private journals, but also just reading it is so dense and hard to decode sometimes. Um, so I love yeah. that you took something that's like, no pun intended, you said easy to digest. <laughs> I loved that. I just, no pun intended. That was a great choice of words. <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's true because, because literally I'd have these conversations over and over again with different patients. And yeah. it, it became apparent to me that it, it didn't, you know, that my, my, my clinical work with them, my counseling, my, um, my advice and, and that type of thing needed to have a forum that they needed, they needed to have my advice with them. Yeah. And um, it, it, because we know we don't make these changes overnight you know you you cannot go from eating drinking um, um, lots of soda and, and eating candy bars and processed foods to the next day giving up everything Ev everyone 
is on their own path and yeah. on their own journey and they have to do it gradually so that their body can tolerate it and in a safe way. So, you know, I think that um, the book allows someone to just start with some healthy changes um, and and start to embrace that. And what I find is when people feel better from even one healthy change that they make, then they want to get, get into it much more and, and more of it. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I've definitely learned in my own journey that it really is about alternatives, like you said. It's not even so much like giving up what you love, but finding alternatives um, that still make that food yummy and delicious. And I'm a, I love cooking. I'm the person that's always having <laughs> friends over and cooking for everyone. Thanks. So I can't wait to see some of the more ideas in your book of recipes and whatnot. Thanks. But Thanks. I wanted to switch over to some more practical questions. I actually asked a bunch of my listeners here on Instagram, like what are some questions you have about food and mental health? And I think they greatly align with a lot of the things you already touched on in your book. So who better to have talk about it than yourself? Um, So my first question is, could you help lay out what the gut brain connection is, the gut brain axis, and why is it so important to our mental health? Um, I think that people miss that there is literally a connection, like a physical connection between the nutrients in your food and your brain power. (laughs) And so I would love it if you could help the everyday person, everyday listener who's maybe hearing about this for the first time, understand the gut-brain connection a little bit more as they're beginning their journey. Sure. You know, um, I think the first point to make is that people know, um, and I said this earlier on, people know how to eat for Um, if they've been told they have a family history of diabetes, they get advice about that from their doctor and their dietitian. But people don't associate, in a cliched way, people say, oh, I feel terrible after I ate that, or oh, this makes me feel happy. But they don't actually make the further connection, which is there's actually a connection between that food and an impact on your gut and your brain. Yeah. Um, The gut and the brain 
originate from the same cells in the embryo. And they're called neural, neural crest cells. And these migrate and form these organs that are in the body far apart, but they're connected by the 10th cranial nerve called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve, um, basically, I call a two-way superhighway. So it's constantly communicating between the gut and the brain. So it's taking messages back and forth. But the other fact that people need to know is that more than 90% of the serotonin receptors, and serotonin we often call the happiness hormone, it's mm -hmm. the um, SSRI medications, or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, you know, first line for ant antidepressant and often for anxiety as well. And they uh, act on serotonin. So the fact that 90% or more of the serotonin receptors are in the gut is very significant for that. It's also the reason that when one is prescribed such a medication, the initial side effects are gastrointestinal. People will, will describe that. And if you look at the label on a medication or a list on the internet, it will describe that as well. But the, the, the reason that happens is because of the location of the receptors. And I, when I share those two facts with my clients and we're going through mm -hmm. the understanding of this connection, that seems to make sense to them that, oh, well, then what I'm putting into my body will be digested through my gut and it's going to impact me somehow. So I could make the choice to eat well and healthy. Or I could continue fast foods, fried foods, um, you know, junk foods, uh, things in, in, in lots of boxes, frozen foods that are, you know, processed frozen foods. I'm mm -hmm. not talking about frozen fruit and vegetables, which are actually really good and healthy choices if they don't have added sugar and syrup and things like or sodium. Right. Um, and, and so <clears throat> when they understand that, they, they, they see that um, their eating habits will impact themselves emotionally, and it may not be immediate. There, there might be that feeling of, oh, I, I ate this junk food and I don't feel great, but I'm talking about the longer-term effects on the brain um, that are impacted by the, by, these, uh, by the foods we should try to cut back on. Yeah, and what are some of those longer-term effects? Sure, so some of the longer-term effects, for example, uh, you know, sugar, take, let's take sugar. We're talking about added sugars. We're not, I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to vilify the, the natural sugars mm -hmm. that we take in and everyday, say, berries that you eat or um, strawberries or blueberries. I'm talking about, you know, the added sugars and soda and, and store-bought orange juice and things like that. So what, what essentially happens is that several studies have shown that uh, sugar is associated with a higher rate of depression. It's also been shown that sugar and then artificial sweeteners as well worsen anxiety. So there's a few facts right there which have been shown in studies to affect mental health. Um, another interesting study showed that trans fats, people who are eating a lot of trans fats, had a higher level of aggression. So again, a food that we know is unhealthy but we may not have known before now impacts our behavior. Um, uh, another factor is that, um, you know, processed foods, the processed, the ingredients in processed foods and ultra processed foods basically, uh, impact the brain because they disrupt the, the gut. And what I mean by that is the gut contains about 39 trillion organisms, which are some of which are bacteria and other bugs, which are there to protect us. And it's important, especially now during the pandemic, because the, the a large amount of our body's immunity is also located in the gut. Mm. So not only for your mental health, but for your immunity, how you eat is a very important aspect during the pandemic because we are facing much higher levels of suicide, much higher levels of depression, anxiety, and other conditions in mental health. Yeah. So, you know, it, it becomes important then to, to think about how you eat. So all of those things um, affect the brain. Some of them disrupt the gut and then affect the brain. So they have the, there are different mechanisms and I go through the different mechanisms in the book as you go through each chapter of the different diagnoses. But in a nutshell, in a 24-hour period, what you eat can positively 
or negatively affect your bacteria or your bugs in the gut, even if you don't feel it immediately. But studies have shown that if I choose today to eat um, uh, takeout from a fast food restaurant, or if I choose to eat a healthy salad with lots of fiber-rich vegetables, and a couple of berries for some sweetness um, and, you know, add in some, say, chickpeas for the uh, fiber from beans, nuts, legumes, seeds, and healthy whole grains. Maybe I put that on a bit of um, quinoa. And if I'd make that choice, again, my, my, my bugs in my gut are going to be impacted. You don't feel it immediately, but you, it, they start to really show effect over time. So any decision that you make in a given day starts to affect you either positively or negatively. And I think that's also helpful for people to know. Yeah, yeah. They often call the gut the second brain, you know. That's correct. Exactly. I mean, there's such a connection there. And I, I found that fascinating the first time I, I, I studied. I mean, I just did a mini research paper in school, but that was enough right. to wake Absolutely. me up, you know. Absolutely. Um, and you listed some things, you know, like sugar, um, trans fats. And, and on that note, what, uh, I guess more practically for those who are like, okay, I'm going to go grocery shopping. I want to renew my diet. I want to put more things in my fridge that are going to be good for my mental health. What would you say are some foods that help our mood? You know, some essential nutrients we may want to implement into our diet more regularly and maybe some foods that may hurt our mood. Um, what is sure. some of the research saying there or what would you suggest people put on their grocery list this week in light of this conversation? Sure. So, you know, I think firstly, when they go to the supermarket, I'd ask them to start off by going on the perimeter of the supermarket. So start with the produce, the vegetables and the fruit, and then work your way on the outer perimeter of the supermarket and then decide what is it that you need from the aisles because the aisles, while they have processed foods and ice cream and all that cool stuff, we know that those are not our best choices, but they also have some healthy foods like um, certain types of uh, canned fish are, are, are completely fine and good uh, cost-saving options. Um, you know, organic legumes, organic chickpeas, other beans. They even have bags of whole, um, whole lentils and beans, healthy whole grains that you can buy and cook. So, so I'm not saying ignore the center aisles, I'm just saying start off in the perimeter it'll, it'll help you not get get in much trouble right and if we break it down if we break it down from there um the reason that fiber from fruit and vegetables and uh, beans nuts seeds legumes and healthy whole grains is important is because the fiber feeds the bugs in your gut so it gives them what they need to be nourished if you nourish them the right way by giving them fiber they will work for you. They will boost your immunity. They will they will thrive, and your um, gut will be in a good state of balance. So it's great to start with lots of veggies, and they're low calorie. Um, if you choose the correct ones, so cruciferous vegetables, healthy greens. Um, so I'm talking about any any colors. Uh, you know, all all the different types of lettuces, spinach. Um, and then moving to the different color peppers, um, uh, you know, cucumbers, whatever it is that has color will bring back really rich phytonutrients to your diet. And then, you know, you when you get so this, that's one food group, I would say, in terms of fruit, I tend to ask people or suggest to people that they eat lower glycemic fruit, like blueberries and strawberries, mm -hmm. um, just because of the healthy antioxidant boost and because. You, you want to have enough servings of fruit in a day, um, but, you know, you, you if you say struggling with your weight, you don't want to be loading up on higher glycemic fruit. It's not it's not a no-no. You can eat some of it. I'm just not, I'm saying you shouldn't rely on those. Mm -hmm. um, and then as you make your way around the supermarket, you know, um, probiotic foods um, are found. So um, certain yogurts, either dairy or non-dairy yogurts have added live cultures, which are probiotics, which bring back good bugs to your gut. So eating those not only are good for your gut, they help your mood. Fruits and vegetables have been shown in several studies to improve mood. That's an important, that's important for people to know that I'm not just saying like every other doctor eats more salad or eat more fruits and vegetables. Right. I'm saying for mental health, it's actually been shown to help your mood. So start to incorporate a simple thing like right now 
um, you know, today, if you wanted to add two veg vegetable side dishes to your dinner, um, that would be a good thing. You know, if you prepared it in a healthy way and you were adding that to whatever you, whatever else you were eating, that would be a good idea. Um, Probiotic-rich foods um, are, or otherwise called fermented foods like kimchi, which is a Korean pickle, kefir, which is a soured yogurt. I always suggest the unflavored type, miso, um, paste, kombucha, sauerkraut, and certain pickles. All of these have some form of fermentation process in them and they help your gut. So that's that's another reason to include them because they help your mood. Um, and then, you know, we, we go to lean proteins. Mm -hmm. um, I think if, if you do, con if, depending on your diet and what you actually eat, if you consume um, types of seafood and different types of meat, I suggest, you know, sockeye salmon or um, good sources of salmon because they and or other fatty fish such as uh, mackerel anchovies sardines these have a very rich in omega-3 fatty acids and they are great brain food um, you know and they're available in supermarkets so these are things that you can incorporate in 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 your diet and if you do eat other proteins then i'm going to suggest the mediterranean eating pattern which is lean proteins so you know lean poultry and things like that are good and and lots of seafood are good good ways to go um you know so those are just some some initial building blocks um also eating the color of the rainbow um is a good is a good uh, idea for people to have in their heads because the different colors of what what a person needs so do they eat different color peppers and lettuces all of that also bring back rich antioxidants through all the polyphenols in the food um, and those help to boost your mood as well yeah i try to keep that in mind like have a colorful palette you know, because sometimes you realize exactly. your plate is like all brown, like it's all star oh, right. starches. Exactly. It's like rice and exactly. bread and potatoes. I'm so proud if it's, you know? right, if it's right or something could be good, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. That, then... that just having that idea in your head is important. And and yes. and by the way, my my other my other big tip for um, uh, boosting mood and helping anxiety is adding in um, turmeric with a pinch of black pepper. Because uh, a turmeric, even if you don't cook with it, you can add it to a super smoothie or a tea, has been shown it hits the high notes on several mental health conditions. Okay. So it's worth incorporating in your diet. It's available in most supermarket aisles. You can even get an organic version. And the pinch of black pepper activates the active ingredient in turmeric, which is curcumin. Um, it makes it more bioavailable to your body and your brain and helps the absorption. So, you know, if that's, if, if, if you feel like what I've said is, oh, I know that and I know I should eat yogurt, well, <laughs> add in some, some turmeric with black pepper and uh, I think that's a, that's, a good, that's a good one to try. I love this. It's all so practical. I know for me, sometimes one of my best ways, I know I'm going to meet most of my nutrients is in a morning smoothie, you know, so I kind of throw the avocado and the, all the berries in a smoothie in the morning, and that just helps get me, I think, my brain powered in the right direction. Um, so I, I love that. I actually use the kefir for a, a base, so I'm getting Great. the probiotic in the smoothie. So that's just there. And once you learn the essential nutrients, it's like there's so many ways you can kind of mix it up. Um, in your into your plate um, but yeah I love that keep color in mind like I sometimes I look at my dinner plate and I'm like this needs some color I need to throw in a salad or <laughs> some some fruits right, or something right. and that just kind exactly. of keeps me attuned I mean, I, exactly yeah and no, I think smoothies are, are a, a practical idea um, yeah. I think that you know it's it's I think it's what you put in the smoothie um, and that type of stuff yeah Right. So, okay. So now I think I'm going to be switching more into the mental health side of eating. Um, so with all the food groups that you're saying and choices, you know, you mentioned something more of like a Mediterranean diet, which I've actually heard a lot um, in mental health and diet conversations about how the Mediterranean diet can be really great. Uh, one of the questions I was getting was, is there a type of diet that's best? You know, paleo, vegetarian, vegan? Uh -huh. um, and is it just dependent on the individual? Like looking at all of the research and the nutrient groups that are just optimal for mental health, is there a type of diet that it's like 
follow this one and you'll probably hit them all really well. So that's that's a tough one, and I'll tell yeah. you why. As as a doctor, and you know, with my new background in nutrition, and as a chef, I have to really in mental health. Whether someone comes in with a carnivore diet or a vegan diet, I've got to be able to help that individual with their mental health symptoms. And part of it is that my personal dietary beliefs are not what I impose on my patient because right. I've got to be able to help them. And so I really for two reasons, because it's not about the judgment of what they're eating and about helping them. And secondly, because it's also about the uniqueness of, we have mostly unique microbiome in mm-hmm. each of us in our body, not entirely, but mostly. And so a person's response to a certain food, over over time, my nutritional psychiatry treatment plans have become more and more personalized toward what that person's eat. Now, that being said, Brittany, I will say that, and I share this in the book as well, there's some general good things that you can do. Mm-hmm. And and then what I like people to do is add in the little, the pinch of, you know, turmeric and black pepper, or look at the food for brain fog, or look at the food for improvement of memory, you know, try to put it, piece it together, because you can't go wrong. These are, these are healthy whole foods that we're talking about. But what what I will say is that the Mediterranean eating pattern does um, does come up in several studies to improve mood and anxiety. So yeah, the fact that it has had that it has that evidence, why not incorporate? Say say you are you know have having uh, you eating a special a certain type of diet. Can you incorporate even some ideas? That's where it becomes personalized. Um, can you? incorporate some of those ideas into what what you're eating so you know if someone is vegan can you you know um up your you know not overdo it always portion control and that type of stuff but can you include more of the avocado for the healthy fat the olive oil you know the chickpeas and that type of stuff because you wouldn't if you're vegan you wouldn't consume the seafood yeah or the other lean protein so how do you tweak it and use that as an idea but someone else might come in and say i don't like any of those foods and i have this type of diet what do i do and that's when it becomes really looking at the nutrients, the nutritional value, um, things that they will eat and putting together a plan for them that will work. But in general, I think, you know, if, if you if you're confused and you're not sure and you would like to try the Mediterranean eating pattern, I think there's there's no harm in trying that. But I do have to be much more specific with, with patients who come to see me. Yeah, yeah. I That makes total sense. And I'm so grateful for those like you because, like you said earlier, there's so much competing information out there where it's like one day this is good and the next day this is bad. And it just depends on what you're reading and who it comes from and what biases exist and and so to personalize it just seems so much more um practical and um even just sensitive to where the person is and what their beliefs are and um in tweaking that so um so I wanted to shift my questions really quickly to I guess more of the mental health side of diet and nutrition because uh, I got some more questions such as like how to overcome when it's hard to eat because of depression or anxiety. You know, um, do you have any sure. advice for someone who is having just a hard time eating? They're not having an appetite because the mental health issues are blocking their nutritional appetite. Right. So this is actually a good segue into one of the things that I think is important for people to know. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain stages of mental illness where you definitely need to see a doctor. And although you can incorporate the the um, food lists and the foods to embrace that I talk about in my book, you do need to see a therapist or a doctor to be evaluated. So if you're not eating that's a severe symptom. Yeah. If you are losing weight, if you're not getting out of bed because you just don't have the motivation, if you are not coping with work, even in a virtual world, not making it to your Zoom meeting because you just can't get out of bed or you're so anxious, you don't want to turn on your computer screen. If you are losing touch with reality, um, feelings of psychosis, you know, hearing voices. If you are manic, your mood is elevated and you might have a background of having bipolar disorder or if you are suicidal. Those are things that you do need to see a doctor for and you need mm-hmm. to either go to an emergency room 
call a helpline, there are multiple suicide helplines, uh, and reach out for help. In, in those instances, Brittany, while food can be part of your plan, I cannot you know, honestly um, and ethically say to someone, you're not getting out of bed, eat some blueberries, because that's, yes, blueberries will help you, right. but they may not be able to help you fast enough to get out of that state. So in a situation like that, I would ask that you either see a therapist or doctor virtually or take yourself to an emergency room. Depending on the severity, reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member and get the help that you need. And, you know, once you evaluated it, there's no harm in also including, in fact, it's beneficial to you to include the foods that will help those symptoms that you're feeling. Yeah, you can do it alongside, but it's not it, it can't be first line in that situation. Right, right. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know like for me, I've shared before I had, you know, I had a, a severe bout of anxiety, you know, um, years ago before mm-hmm. I kind of got into back to school. And that was one of the indicators for me that something was off because I didn't have an appetite. Everything so, you were saying, lost a ton of wow. weight and then had to mm-hmm. get more help and then uh, just kind of renew my relationship with food. That really led me on a right. path of renewing my relationship with food and how I ate and what I was eating. So I think this is going to be really helpful for someone as well as on the opposite side. I got the question a lot of how to help manage emotional eating or stress eating when you're overeating because you're stressed or, you know, feeling depressed. Um, Any advice or insider in that, even though I know it's probably, it's pretty much related, you probably still should get more help or see someone Right. So it depends on the extent of, you know, of your emotional eating. There is actually brain science involved. Um, Like you mentioned, you know, um, the fact that uh, we know that sugar acts in the same way that cocaine acts and research has shown that. So um, the uh, uh, it's just important to know that there are certain ways that our brain can get used to unhealthy foods. In a similar Mm -hmm. way, you know, when we think about emotional eating, when we're stressed, our brain becomes very sensitive to the rewards of tasty high fat and high sugar foods right so if this is something you've gotten into say in the pandemic where you've had a more difficult time one of the things you you sort of need to figure out for yourself is environmental control so if you stocked up on processed foods and unhealthy foods during the pandemic you you sort of need to start moving away from that because that's what you can eat if it's in your kitchen cabinet or right. your fridge or freezer Right. So you've, you've got to think about all alternatives. Like I, we came up with this great alternative for um, like a salty pretzel or, a, or a, you know, a salty chip. You know, you can actually use um, folate rich spinach leaves like baby spinach is great for this and roast that um, uh, using some avocado oil. Uh, if you're using a higher temperature, salt, pepper, um, a low temperature, you could use a little bit of drizzle of olive oil salt, pepper, any spices you like, roast it up in the oven and have that as a nice salty uh, and obviously not a ton of um, added salt, but that kind of gives you that feeling of having a salty snack, but it's actually healthy. So you have just because we know brain science is involved, we have to be smart about tricking our brains in a good way. So, you know, a um, uh, something if you have a really sweet tooth then getting used getting your palate used to super dark chocolate um, more than 70 percent of a natural chocolate is high in antioxidants uh, the process to make that chocolate is ferment ferment uh, fermented so it's good for you but it's, we're not talking about the candy bars. we're talking about super dark chocolate and pairing that maybe with a, a small clementine is a way to get over that hump of that sweet craving that you might have so it's it's about finding and we have a whole chapter on recipes of recipes in the book and ideas mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of about finding you know uh, what a person's um kind of uh, soft spot is what the, what what is the food that they crave and what can we do in a healthy way to replace that uh for them 
Yeah, it really is a process I've learned because exactly. the more you get familiar, yeah, the more you get familiar with the different dishes you can make that you like implementing these nutrients, the more they be kind of become your go-to and it, it, be, it becomes a little bit less complicated. I think as with any exactly. kind of change you're making, lifestyle change. Um, so I love what you said even just about, you know, if you're if your home, your fridge is filled with these things, then that's what you're going to revert to, to, um, to eat with. And that's what it's been with me. You know, I kind of make sure that my home is mostly filled with all of these nutrients you're talking about so that when I'm turning to find something to eat, you know, I eat the plantain chips rather than, I don't know, some hot Cheetos or something. I don't even eat hot right. Cheetos, so right. I don't know why I know, said that. But right. yeah. And, and so, you know, and some of it is, um, you know, underst- understanding, um, uh, 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 you know, like a health, what, what's a healthy uh, whole food option, right? So yeah. I, I, I think that it's, it takes 20 minutes to make spinach uh, chips or you use whichever green that you'd like. Another one is, you know, can you have a little, like a quarter cup of macadamia nuts or, hazelnuts, uh, great brain food. And can you get super, super extra dark chocolate that's a natural chocolate and cut up a couple of chunks of that and mix that with your nuts so you kind of have this nice crunchy snack. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. so a a person has to find out what, has to figure out the snack they like and then we have to find ways to really trick our brain into thinking, hey, you know, I can eat that instead. It's, it's, you know, it's better than, because if, if the cookie's there, you, you, you get to remember that and go, you know, go there and go to that cabinet and eat it. Um, so it's sort of, we have to, we have to just be smarter with ourselves to overcome those, uh, those difficulties because everyone faces them. You know, you, you shouldn't feel bad or judged. It's part the, please right. know there's brain science behind this. Um, and secondly, that we, we all face it at some point, but we, we just, we have to find those healthy uh, options that are better for our brain. Yeah. And I feel like we're at such a great time, you know, just in history right now, because we have the luxury of going online and searching recipes or going on Pinterest. And there's so many recipes and combinations that you can find um, doing doing more research even. Uh to exactly. to have those alternatives now so um you know for me sometimes that just means like spending a night like looking up recipes and thinking about planning what those alternatives are going to be um so that i'm ahead of it because what happens often is we're hungry and then we look to our fridge and we have these ingredients but we're like i don't know what to do with this and you end up ordering out <laughs> anyway so it's true planning it's, what you're going to do I, I, with yeah, those ingredients that's right absolutely and that's where you know, um, you know, we can depending on on what your listeners want, but you know, the, there's a whole whole sort of discussion I have on on how to think about the week ahead and how to implement those and what are the things that you can, you know, how can you plan? How can you right. um, how can you almost get prepared to to uh, to really embracing a healthier lifestyle? You know, we can't do it overnight, but we can right. start to make some changes. And that being said, I guess just rapid fire last question here. What are some tips you have for staying motivated to eat or cook healthy? Like to keep people motivated, what are some little things that they can do um, just in closing here? Sure. Um, For one thing, expand your spice cabinet. Because when you eat flavorful, interesting, different food, you don't get bored. Yeah. Um, you know, so spices are salt-free, sugar-free. Um, and I'm talking about pure spices. They have wonderful benefits. You can you can check out the different lists we have. And, um, you know, whether it's uh, a chicken tandoori versus a cauliflower steak made in a tandoori style, you can do so much that is of interest and keeps you motivated to want to eat that healthy meal again. Because it's so yummy, you know. It's it, again. It's about making ourselves feel that we enjoy it. Um, another quick tip is I mentioned the turmeric and black pepper. Try to use that. It's a. It's a. It's something that hits the high notes for the actual conditions. Um, a, a third is um, you know just learn to use two things: um, more vegetables and colorful vegetables and berries and strawberries in your in your week of what you're eating, and understand that frozen foods and 
fruits um, such as frozen vegetables uh, without added sauce, sodium, salt, or sugars, sugary syrup, um, as well as uh, berries are very easy to buy. They're inexpensive. Keep them in your freezer and add them to your meals because those simple things will start you in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a better direction because you're already going to be increasing the amount of vegetables but not increasing your calories. And we're talking about broccoli, cauliflower. I'm not talking about potatoes. Sweet potatoes are, are fine as an alternative to potatoes, but they shouldn't be an everyday food. You know, the, the more higher glycemic um, vegetables you, you do have to pay attention to. And we provide lists in the book around how to, how, how to get some guidance around that. So those are just some things to get you started today. Great. So helpful. So practical. Um, and I can't wait for everyone to grab your book and read more into this and just begin their journey of brain health, uh, you know, by, by diet. And I love that you also listed like frozen foods and vegetables, because that's also the other thing, the food insecurity about how, you know, sometimes healthy food, quote unquote, could be very expensive. And so it becoming kind of a socioeconomic thing, but that's a whole yes. other conversation. <laughs> so I appreciate yes, I, the inexpensive yeah. tips of getting frozen fruits and vegetables even at your store is, is a great start. Absolutely. And there's, you know, we share a lot on Instagram um, with ideas. For example, you know, we, we talk about the fact that, yes, sockeye salmon um, is, is expensive in the supermarket, but there are types of canned um, fish that are appropriate that you can use, especially at times like now. And we also talk about, um, and you're right, Brittany, it's, it's, it's a whole other conversation, but, but we, we should have that conversation because I completely respect and understand that everyone is from a different background and times are hard during the pandemic. And, and this food is one way we can fortify our mental health and make ourselves strengthen up in terms of our brain and the brain foods that we eat as we go through this, given the uncertainty. So let's have that follow-up conversation and I'll, we'll plan it out. Thank you so much, Brittany. So my social handle is at Dr. Uma Naidu, one word, at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're always putting out information that is science-based. So we try to provide excerpts from the book, but we provide where the research is coming from. I think that people have found that helpful. Um, you can also buy the book at any online bookseller, including Amazon, or support your local bookstores, support your independent bookstores. They're also important. Um, and you can also get it on my website. So we link to all of the different sites, which is umanaidumd.com, U-M-A. N-A-I-D-O-O-M-D.com. If you subscribe to my newsletter, you get cool information that we update all the time and we do not send you tons of emails. Fantastic. And I'm going to include all of that in the show notes below. Um, we're going to have to like partner together and do a giveaway or something. Um, I think I, so. I want to get this book in more people's hands. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing all this valuable information. I know this is just the start of many conversations we're going to have together. And um, I appreciate you. And thanks guys for listening until next time.